Pod Clubhouse. This is Caroline from Daily Review. And this is Mike from Pop Culture Review. And this is Without a Paddle, the Street Podcast. Tonight we're talking about episode 12 of season 6, The Pitch. It was written by someone we may have heard of, Dan Levy, and it was directed by Andrew Cividino. Hey, Caroline, how you doing this evening? Hey, Mike, like day 1000 on isolation. <laughs> I'm starting to talk like that. It's it's a Pee Wee Herman syndrome. <laughs> Running out of forgiveness from those around me who are tired of me overreacting and causing a scene about nothing all the time. I've decided that plus five is the right way to equate all of my reactions. Whatever it would be, if it would be like a two, I'm like at a seven. If it's like a one, I'm at a fucking six. When I need to be at like a fucking two all the time. It's just, yeah, not good, Mike. Not good. Stressful. I have hair growing in places I didn't know hair grew anymore. You do? I do. Like where? My armpits. You didn't have hair in your pits before? No. I think I might be going through puberty. (gasps) Do you think it's Rona-induced puberty? I eat a lot of chicken. Hormone injected chicken. Oh shit. Yeah. My uh, peanut gallery, that is uh, my live studio audience, is giggling very loud. Maybe it's that you have, maybe it's like menopause for women, but maybe there's like some sort of like Rona pause that men are getting. I hear that men are dying two to one. So there's that. I have to send you the best video ever that I saw today. The reason why men live so much less longer than women. Oh, it's got to be like the nag factor, no? Oh, no, no. It's two little boys. They're clearly brothers, maybe twins. They're like around five, so they can babble talk, but they're not great. But they're like upright walking humans. They found their parents' steel press step garbage can. You step on the pedal and then the lid flies open. Yeah. Uh, The one boy says, I'm going to go around the back. So he stands behind the garbage can and the other brother steps on a pedal and smacks him in the head. (laughs) And and, And they laugh hysterically. They are like, oh, let's switch. The boy stands behind the garbage can and your brother steps on the pedal, smacks him in the head and knocks him over. Boys are laughing hysterically. The boy gets up, runs back to behind the garbage can, says again, again. And gets clonked in the head and falls over again. It's hysteria. And it goes on. And the two of them are just having the best goddamn time you've ever seen. It's like when you fall in love with like a rubber band ball. But it's like physical violence. And the caption of it is, this is why women live so much longer than men. (laughs) Yeah, I can honestly say I've never, ever seen a little girl do something like that. So for sure, agreed with you. Hey, Mike, do you know what we have not been talking about enough? Coronavirus. No, that is ad nauseum. But our shitty little contest, Mike. Our little shitty contest. Yes. Yes. People, we are running a shitty contest right now. Really simple to enter. You can win some awesome Schitt's Creek merchandise. Amazing. Amazing. Tell them where we got this stuff. We stole this stuff. We did not steal. Don't. Five finger discount for you guys. Never, never we would. We went up to Sharon Springs, New York, never you guys. We would. Are you fucking Yoda? <laughs> never we would. I am fucking Yoda. Thanks for asking. Things are going oh, very well with him. We've been, we've been trying to figure out who fucks Yoda for years. It's Waddle. Oh. Turns out it's Oh. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. I didn't say it. So. We braved Rona back before we even knew Rona was a thing and went all the way to upstate New York to to Beekman 1802 and McGillicuddy's. We got you guys all kinds of awesome Rose Apothecary pop-up goods. Like there's like lip balm, candles, awesome body balm stuff. There's goat milk soap. I mean, yep. there's like a lot body, of they got whipped body cream. Uh, there's the Rosebud Motel candle. Dude. There's the, lit, the linen fragrance, the Rosebud Motel linen fragrance too. Yes. And it's like yeah. all natural business. It's amazing. It's all pre-corona. So, you know, it's safe. You know, it's good. I just think it, it's like amazing products that you guys are going to completely love. And all you have to do is enter the contest. And we're going to make it super easy on you and give you the phrase right up front. I know. That's amazing. Here it goes. Ready, Mike? Give him the freeze. No. No? (laughs) (sighs) People, we've been doing this since episode eight. Five episodes. There's only two more episodes for this to happen. Five phrases. And I have asked Caroline to give the phrase to you people. 
five times, and she has said, Niet. Niet, like she's a Russian spy. <laughs> Natasha. Right, That's my secret name. The phrase that pays for this week's episode, for episode 12, is goodbye, Grace. Goodbye, Grace. That is the phrase that pays for this week. So you have to go listen to episode 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, and you have to write down the phrase from each episode. I think it's been a phrase in each episode. Maybe one where it's just one word. Yeah, I kind of think it's been a phrase, though. I'm with you on that. I think it's been a phrase. I think you just have to write them down and then send them to us by Twitter DM, by Instagram DM, one of those two ways. Their DMs are always open. We love to hear from you guys. Send us your submission. Send us all seven. There's episode 13 and episode 14. Send us all seven submissions and you could be in the running. We have five gift packages to give away. And that would be awesome. You guys, this is the type of thing you want to get in the middle of this isolation mess. You need some good lotion, some good goat milk soap that you can wash your hands, be super clean, and have soft skin. Can you identify with all the lizard hand pictures that people are putting up on social (laughs) media? You know, wash my hands 143 times today and like they now have like a dinosaur claw. Well, I I can. I just want to tell you that I have this naturally super soft skin. So even with um, soap, like I've been pretty good, to be honest. I have not. No, have you're not. like a lizard man. You might I'm need to drink down, some more like, water. I'm down like nine derma levels. <gasps> I I was actually able to donate blood just by like handing my hand over. Like they just tipped it into a bowl. I don't think that you should wash to that extent. That sounds pretty wicked. <laughs> Oh my god, you're like a science experiment. A walking science experiment. You're nude, you're skinless. It's like a whole thing. Not nude, not nude. Have underwear on. Okay, so imagine Mike walking up to you. He's just wearing underwear and he's got these raw stubs of hands just bleeding out his hands. I mean, this is a sight, people. This is what Rona has brought us to. Step back, ladies. Take a number one at a time, my friends. (laughs) One at a time. Oh my god. (laughs) All right, let's get into this episode, Mike, because this one was a good one. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the anniversary episode. Mm, it did. Re- yes, I could get that vibe. I feel I, I'm picking up what you're putting down. So I'm going to say it had these elements of like old friends, shitty behavior, sticking up for each other, like all these little nugs, all these little nugs were sprinkled throughout. And I love it because this entire season has been payoff for anybody who has watched all the rest of the seasons you can go back and be like i totally get this vibe i know where this is coming from you know when we went up to sharon springs for the rose apothecary pop-up we met what we had assumed was the only rolling shit fan in america he proclaimed himself the only shit proclaimed him (laughs) and i mean he had he had a button he had chris elliott t-shirts on he didn't really but he was a big fan tonight's episode i redeems that I think you have the single greatest rolling shit moment of the series tonight. And that's a big fucking deal because I know personally, I rag on Roland a whole lot. Our story tonight begins in the creek, Caroline. Okay. Uh, talk to me about Moira, what you think about her packing so fast and feverishly to get to New York. What was your take on that? I would have thought that she would have learned a wee bit of a lesson from previous episodes in terms of not packing, not just assuming things are going to work out. I, I think that there's like a that that really fine line of like being super supportive and like this is going to happen. And yes, we can do this versus like packing up the whole room like that seems like bad juju. Like, don't do that. You're going to put up like a pox on it. So I was like, Moira, chill out, chill out, dude. You're going to definitely put some bad vibes out there. What did you think? Are you saying that perhaps she was counting her poultry before it was incubated? I am saying that those eggs were clearly still in the warmer and she was counting them up and that was a bad move. Let's listen to that clip. Alexis, let's not count our poultry before it's incubated. Yeah, I totally hear you on her packing. I am not an anxious person. I'm a very, like, my heartbeat stays like three beats above clinically dead all the time. Oh my God. I'm very relaxed, very chill. Water, like, off a duck's back all the time. I had physical palpitations watching her pack, then watching Alexis looking for apartments, and then Mm. the conversation with her and David, Alexis and David, about living together, and the spiral, the rolling snowball down the hill of their making plans for New York. It was giving me physical anxiety that David hadn't talked to Patrick about this, and I, I, I... I knew Patrick wasn't going to be okay with these plans that he was making on his behalf. The idea of living in a fucking Murphy bed, even if it does have a big <laughs> central park. Like, what, what is happening? I had physical, like, my ass was clenched. No. And my breathing, my breathing was quickened. 
all through the Schitt's Creek scenes tonight. Whoa, that's a and lot. It, yeah, I don't know why. It was, I felt like you said, I felt like they were just dousing the place in bad juju. The juju is like on my skin even through the TV is what I'm trying to say. Like it was so oozy, you know? Yeah, and I have all this exposed skin. Like oh. down to the bone, the dermal. Like mm. the juju was going to be infectious. Like I, it was Ugh. not okay to have so much juju. That's wicked. That is wicked with your epidermis. Do you think anyone is still listening with all the epidermis talk? <laughs> I hope you guys are because, you know, this is this is the time we're nearing the end. We are going to buzz through these first couple of characters and talk to you about our the good points and the bad points. So let's get on to Moira here because she had some moments here that were kind of funny, right? So her big yeah. crew has been the Jazza Girls, right? She has found her place in society between that and city council. That's pretty much where she's been able to find her bearings I want to say in the creek she is just like so friggin like electrified to head over to jazz girls what did you think of that scene I mean it was classic Moira but god it really brings out the worst of her when she interacts with people in this town this season I feel like you just get really funny scenes but are also just so goddamn cringy just (laughs) the worst of her just talking about how she was leaving and then cutting into Grace's cake which was so, so fucking funny. And then she tries to smear it on. She, she figures that Grace isn't there yet, but Grace is right there and has always been there. Like, that actress has been in, I feel like, the entire series. Oh I don't my think God. she was just an extra. And that's where we get our phrase of the week, you guys. Goodbye, Grace, is what was written across that. And she totally thought that they were just trying to highlight one of her better qualities. Like, as if they would refer to her like that. Yes. She is so... Though I will give her credit, she was very clear throughout this episode to praise her husband. She was very all about Johnny praise. It wasn't like she was taking an egotistical lap for herself, which is just the complexity of Boira, that she could be so self-centered, but at the same time, give all credit to Johnny. I mean, last week, with that beautiful toast she gave at the end, mm-hmm. and then this week, you know, she calls him her macho man mm. during their prayer circle at the end. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean... <laughs> I love that. That whole scene had me pissing my pants. It was so fucking funny. David's like, what is happening now? You know, like, are we praying? No. What what does he say? Uh, To who it may concern? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. That was so funny. Oh, my God. No, I'm cracking up. That was so funny. I, you know, I, we talked about this last week because you were asking me if I thought it was you know, reasonable within their relationship that Moira would have been told about this meeting earlier. And I had said, well, I kind of thought that they did have a relationship in which Johnny would say stuff to her, maybe not to the kids. And you were saying, well, no, actually more maybe to the kids. But this is the kind of stuff that where I come back to their relationship, like she she has championed him the whole time. Like I can't think of a time throughout the entire series where she mocked him or um, in some way made him feel less than. Her personality and the way that it grates on some people has this this line where she does not mock Johnny. She doesn't. She never takes him down. She might tease the kids or might say things that are out of bounds for them. But I can't think of a time when he looked stricken the way that we've seen so many people look when Moira says a comment to, to them. Um, like he he gets a pass. And so I was proud in this that she was just able to like let the floodgates open and just just praise him like crazy because he is the he is the hero right of this whole show. I think so. As much as this is David and Alexis's story in a lot of ways, it's really Johnny's story too. I, I think hero wise, he is the hero of the story. He has had the widest, most significant character arc anyone on the show for sure. And Mike, let me ask you about this. So okay, so you you are well versed in literature. If we were to say that Alexis and David had like a coming of age story and we had Johnny having like a hero's quest, what would we call Moira's genre here? Like comedy relief. Okay. You know, the one dimensional comedy relief with very minimal movement in her arc. Okay. I like that. She's the most classic sitcom character. Because even when she moves within an episode, she kind of resets the next episode, which is an interesting dynamic because the other characters are not like that. The other three roses are very modern day dramedies kind of character where they have highs, they have lows, they learn from it. The next week, they have ingested and informed that character based on what has come before. You know, you string a bunch of episodes together and then you have an arc. You have a story that is taking you from a point A to a point B. 
Moira goes from like an A to a B within an episode sometimes, and then the next week resets back to the A again because it's just a great comedy well that they can always go to, which is classic sitcom. You know, it's Archie Bunker. Even when Archie was a great guy in one episode, you know, he didn't call someone a racial epithet, you know? Right, (laughs) right. He didn't uh, verbally abuse his wife for one episode, so he was a good guy. The next week, he was back to who he was again. There was no growth there. That's her role on the show, which I love. I agree with you. I think so. She's kind of like the constant that we can, like, compare the rest of them to, right? Because she resets, then you can kind of keep watching the rest of them elevate, you know, and move on and try new things. And you're kind of watching her like, okay, I'm not really sure I'm seeing her do anything different. But she creates that, like, contrast. We can actually kind of measure their growth against her. Absolutely, because you can go back to the beginning of the show and basically see a lot of the same Moira there. And this episode was a great demonstration of that. She, As soon as she she can smell New York in her grasp, she is packing her shit to get the hell out of Dodge. And so is Alexis. But think back to that first season, you know, for sale, when David wants to live with Alexis in New York. And she's like, no, nah, I think I'm going to go get my own place. How far has she come that she was looking for two bedrooms, forgetting about Patrick altogether. That <laughs> she, she was she was assuming that David was going to come with her and they were going to be together. That's growth. That is literal 180 growth on Alexis's part. This is not the first time Moira has gone around the town saying goodbye to people before she's actually ready to leave the town. This is exactly the same. Yeah. But everyone else, though, was willing to get out of town. But... With some trepidation, with some planning, with with like, I'm bringing my family with us, not Moira. Moira didn't even want her kids to stay. She's like, yeah, it depends on what we can get. We may not even have a guest room. <laughs> I know. <laughs> she's, she's like, me, me, Johnny, and the money, baby. You know, I'm out of here. Oh, so, my God. That was so much about the kids. Oh, my God. And she was like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to have a guest room. I was like, oh, my God, Moira, Really? Oh, my gosh. And it warmed my heart so much because I know we talked about in the last episode, I was like, I really don't want to see Alexis like leave and have her and David and, and Patrick. There's like little threesome have to be in different parts of the world anymore. I don't, I don't want that for them. Alexis had an interesting story because we learned a really interesting fact about Alexis tonight that we had not yet heard. What, what was your take on her dropping the news about Interflex? I was so excited. And it did make me pause and be like, whoa, is this the first time we're hearing this? Because I don't remember this news. Very excited and very much the things that we had talked about, like, can she really do this job in Schitt's Creek? I don't think so. She really has to go somewhere bigger and better. And she needs some sort of like anchor, like grounding. And I felt like, okay, Interflix is going to offer that where she can go get her feet like solid ground. And then if she wants to expand her business as she goes, great. But like she needed that little like, you know, that little lifeline to actually get her in position and give her something going right away. You know, what did you think? Did you think Interflix was going to come through or some other opportunity? I figured something was going to present itself to her. I think she made the most sense to go to New York. I'm not convinced that the Rosebud Motel empire needs to move to New York to, to run their empire. But New York or LA made the most sense for Alexis based on what she's thinking about doing. That was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But the Interflix thing was kind of a surprise. Obviously, we knew that they were happy with her. Remember, she got all those flowers in that episode where Moira actually was a good mother and and gave her advice about Ted. I was surprised to hear them kind of come back into the mix again. And I love that. I love that journey for her. This seems right to her. This seems earned. It felt very like Larry Air, right? Where it's like they brought that back in as as Moira's little gig. It felt right that Interflix would be coming back around and being like the opportunity for Alexis. But even more so organically, because she, I mean, she had established a relationship with them. We knew she was working closely with them with this surprise hit Crows movie. It made sense to me that Interflix would be impressed with her. And she didn't say she was going to go work for them. The way she phrased it was they want to continue our relationship. So that makes it sound to me like so many PR firms. I mean, I, you know, we get emails all day, every day. I got nine today from different PR firms, you know, pimping out this artist or that actor. Let's get an interview. They want to do this. They want you to cover that. That's what Alexis is going to be. Having that relationship with Interflix totally made sense to me. And I love it. I love it. I'm glad she's getting rewarded for all of this mature, good decisions that she's been making for herself all season. My God, just to remind listeners, she came from not even having a high school diploma again, coming all the way through to this point, you know, being ready to go out on her own and having her own business. I am uber impressed with everything that she's been able to accomplish. I I wasn't surprised, but I also did get a nice chuckle out of learning that she was not a stranger to private jets and Tiger Woods. 
this was a, a drop of information that did not surprise me. She is very much in Tiger's wheelhouse. The biggest surprise was that they, it hasn't come out sooner. You don't get a lot of Tiger Woods jokes this day and age. But, right. Uh, totally on brand. Look at the women that Tiger Woods has associated himself with over the years. Alexis Rose is very much like spot on. Really funny. <laughs> really funny. I love how they pick these 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 people in our sort of I'm going to say celebrity echelon. You know, Joyce Dewitt. I mean, cracking me up. It's not somebody who you're talking about current. You know, no one's talking about Tiger Woods current. Nobody cares what he's up to, especially not his love life or whatever. You know, and it's just it's just cracking me up that like they they do such a good job of like weaving in those like remember that remember that person. Oh my god. Uh, my favorite though, like if you blink and you missed it, bit was her and David, Alexis and David's back and forth about the Kerry Washington all-female reboot of 12 Angry Men on Broadway. <laughs> uh, because A, that sounds like a thing that could happen, but it sounds like a thing that should happen. For sure. I love it. For sure. I, I know someone, actually, a friend of ours, is currently trying to, an artistic type, is trying to uh, pass the time in uh, quarantine by starting kind of an online theater group. Oh. Basically doing remote play readings and stuff cool yeah very cool and the first two things that uh, she is looking at staging one is a 12 angry men reading or 12 angry people because it's uh, not all men and all female play so it was very funny I, I when i heard this i particularly laughed hard because it was literally these two things that, that this, this friend is uh, putting together right now so very very timely Carrie yeah. Washington is in a current show right now, which makes her like like higher up on the whole echelon world, which made me extra smile for her. Because isn't she in Little Fires Everywhere? She's in Little Fires Everywhere. She just took to Netflix a movie released a couple months ago called American Son, which she had been performing on Broadway last year. Carrie Washington is not a stranger to Broadway productions. When they were filming this and writing the script, mm. that was probably still on stage. Yeah. So it was probably not a coincidence that like Carrie Washington was on Dan's mind when he was writing this episode for sure. I love it. And I love that we're covering both like a Carrie Washington show and a Dan show right now. I love it. Synergy. We got that pod clubhouse synergy going Dude, on. Dude, right PCH, now. man. Speaking of David, this is that bug clenching. This is that anxiety ridding. I, I don't know what possessed him uh, to think, but were you surprised that he just assumed Patrick would be okay with pulling up their lives and moving to New York? I was really surprised. I thought really hard about Patrick afterwards, and I was thinking, like, has he ever made any indication that he is unhappy with the life that they have here in terms of their business, like wanting to grow it or wanting to do something or saying anything like, oh, God, I wish there was more to do or I wish there was more restaurants like I've never heard him say one negative word about where they live. So I had no idea where David was coming from to assume that Patrick would be like, yeah, this business that we've like put our blood, sweat and tears into, let's just like either walk away or at least walk away from our flagship store here and go somewhere else and try to do something completely different. I didn't get where he was coming from. Did you? No, I was shocked, like jaw on the floor shocked. It's like he had never met Patrick before. The guy who just chose the escape room for his bachelor party. Right. You think he, his family is not from New York. We don't know where his family is, but we don't, we, we're pretty sure they're not from New York. They're not big city folk. I don't know what could make David think Patrick would enjoy this. He deserved having his muffin taken. <laughs> this was this was party foul, you know, like a like a high high red line party foul in, in my book. See, okay, so I'm gonna back up a little bit and say we actually don't know where Patrick family is from or where they're at. Maybe Patrick did grow up in a big city. Maybe he does have ties to a big city, and you know, this isn't what he wants to go back to. Maybe he chose to live in Chicks Creek, which would be you know huge juxtaposition to all of the roses. Was that this was a choice? that he wanted to live in this town. And so I'm actually willing to like put my my poultry <laughs> and count that poultry before it's incubated because I feel like it is more likely to me that he has had experience in a big city and chose small town life because that would be such a perfect contrast to living in a big city and certainly just being thrown into small life. Well, it would also certainly be in line with Patrick's personality, this almost too good for the world personality that he seems to have. Certainly someone who has experienced the big city and chose to escape it for something simpler and more peaceful and more kind 
uh, that definitely sounds like Patrick to me. I, I think that is actually a very good possibility for sure. He's always seemed so content. Like to me, every time we've yeah. seen Patrick, he is so involved, like having the softball team he was involved with, you know, working in Ray's place, immediately jumping in and helping out David. Like I think there's something about him that feels so invested here that I don't understand at all why that went over David's head, except for just that initial, well, you know, David's kind of go-to position is really, I don't want to say selfish, but I want to say he just assumes everybody wants what he wants or that the way he looks at things is right. You know, it made me think of like Green Acres for some reason. Isn't that weird? Because neither of them, they were both from the big city going to the country, but in my head, I have David playing like Zsa Zsa. <laughs> And like, for some reason, even though I know the husband was also like in a suit in my head, I'm thinking so much of like Patrick of just being like wanting to be in small town life. Green Acres is sticking out in my brain. If that ever comes up in an interview that Green Acres ever came into this, I want some wicked Jaja love on me. It's like David assumes Patrick wants more in life than what Patrick has and fails to see that Patrick already has everything that he wants in his life. Yeah. Do you think that happens often in couples where like one is really trying to present more to the other one and doesn't realize that like if they're just themselves and they just do what they do and David just like shows up every day to work and like they run their store together, like Patrick would be truly happy in his soul. He doesn't have to do more than that. I, I think it probably happens a lot. I mean, it, I think it has, a, I think it's pretty also organic to how their relationship is. You know, I don't think Patrick coming out of this relationship where he was engaged uh, was looking or feeling forced like he had to be with David. He hasn't been coerced into having this relationship. He's there because David fulfills his wishes and he's living the life that he wants to live and he's content in that life. I think in an effort to, he says, he's like, I thought it would make you happy. And I believe that. I believe that so sincerely. David was 10 steps deep in the story before he realized that he had like misjudged the situation. But I do like that he gave him the muffin. I, I know. I do like that he backpedaled and said, but you know, he probably will probably fuck it up in New York and this will go nowhere. Uh, this will just be a big waste of time and frown lines. It's so true. <laughs> it's so true. I love that. I, I love it. Frown line. Why do that to your face? We don't need frown lines, especially in this world. Oh, you know, we God. want happy, we want happy lines. I totally agree with you. And I, you know what? Again, kudos to David for seeing his partner being like, hey, you don't need to be that person. We don't need to do that thing. And him like seeing the situation being like, hey, I want to dial it back and like try again. Let's like blank slate it a little bit. <laughs> Let's just assume that everything was like go, can go back to normal. Right. I think that that's like I hope to God that that's going to work out. That's the, you know, just to bring it back around to, to character growth and way the show is made and built. That's not a David realization that would have been probably present three years ago or five seasons or six seasons ago. That's that's a testament who, to who David has become. It's a testament to the good influence that Patrick has had on him. And it's a testament to the love and respect they have for each other that he was able to realize it and dial it back. I think the only other person David ever can really be that way with is Alexis. Maybe Stevie too, but they don't, I feel like the last couple of years, they really haven't had the cause to have those kinds of interactions where David has had to maybe pull himself back. These people around him, the Stevies, the Alexises, certainly the Patricks, really bring out the best in David and make him a better person. Because he still has that impulse. He still has that. Yeah, that that's what I want to say. Like, what is him. that? Like when he goes back to like neutral, his neutral spot can tend to be like a little bit. I'm not sure what the right word. Like so I was trying to say, like, I don't want to use the word selfish because that's not it. When such an exciting thing happens, he kind of just flies back like previous to growth. But what is that word? Like, what is that part? He's a rose. He, I mean, even with the Italian, you know, Johnny says tonight, it's been three years, six, six season years, but it's been three years in Schitt's Creek. That's still a small, it's informative, but it's still a small drop in the bucket of the life that David has lived. Very you know, true. he's Moira Rose's son. He's Johnny Rose, the video king's son. I don't know how many years he'd have to be alive to not have the impulse to, yeah, fuck yeah, New York, let's go. Murphy bed in the wall over Central Park. I'm there. Let's go, go, go. I want to go to Kerry Washington. That's going to be his impulse, his default position for a long time. Hmm. For a long time. Intrigue. But that's not a bad thing because he knows how to moderate it. 
And he's willing to. That's the big thing, yes. right? Like he can see it. He saw it in. That's the kind of thing when I say about like Moira doesn't often recognize the the horror on the people's faces around her. And she actually did, you know, when it came to the Jazza girls. And same with David. Like the second that he saw Patrick start to be like, what the? He pulled back, you know, and was like, oh, wait, you know, I, I can I can adjust. Moira didn't even really get it until until Jocelyn had a yell from the sidelines that, you know, by the way, my husband's, you know, involved in this too. Yes. That's what it took for Moira to be like. And even then she forgot who Grace was. She turns to the old woman <laughs> and, and said, you're not being festive enough, you know, like Moira, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh my God, that cracks me up. You're not being festive enough. <laughs> Could you imagine saying that to someone at any party? Like, hey, you're not being festive enough like, uh, 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 dear, oh you're not being festive enough that cracks me up oh my god i think you said it before moira is such a good litmus test to uh, such a control see how much they have grown the other characters mm -hmm. and david impulse and then david adjusting when he's reading the situation is a great example of that i want to circle back around to patrick at the very end of this episode but now i think we need to get to new york Okay, let's do that. So how <laughs> their little send off was so adorable. The signs that Jocelyn has made were like quintessential school teacher signs. I adored them. I thought that the the like the nervousness, the like I put mints in your pocket. Oh my God, that is so me, Mike. Those are all the things I would do. I would absolutely make the signs. I would 100% have put mints in the pocket. Like I would have done all of those things. What do you think of this send-off? Do you think it was like too much? Was it on brand for them or what? Totally on brand. The onion omelet with the mints. Alexis telling them to make sure Johnny drinks a lot on the flight. The the Team Rosebud sign was just so adorable. I hope one of the cast members got that and took that home at the end of filming. Because uh, that was a great sign. The book end of them being outside the motel when they leave. And then them being there in, in the chairs lined up like an army when they return yes and you know they just sat there almost the entire day waiting and waiting and waiting i loved it i love i love this family i love this big family even yes roland i love this big family <laughs> and how they come together for each other because they're all in it now they're not just being good friends they are family roland and stevie and john they are in proverbial bed together now jocelyn and roland and moira and johnny are all partners and stevie are you know, maybe don't invite them to the bachelor party, but <laughs> for, for the other, you know, 23 hours of your life, they're your family now. That's This is what life is now for them, whether they realize it or not. What did you think about Stevie's ensemble? If you told me Stevie is going to wear a professional outfit to a meeting in New York, this is probably what I would have pictured her wearing. She is not a skirt girl. She is not a long dress girl. She is definitely a pantsuit I, it, I don't know. It just struck me as something that Johnny maybe told her to do. They were definitely going with a, you know, the way they had the syncopated saying at the end of the pitch. Mm -hmm. Like, I think Johnny was going for a unified look. Yes, I like that. Did you think Roland wearing uh, Johnny's suit? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I mean, perfect. perfect. But of course, I mean, the visual is funny. But of course, then Roland also has to add into it about better much better physique he has than johnny and, <laughs> and, and, and but then but like but jocelyn is all about it you know jocelyn is just like yeah he's just been a hunk of dunk since you know i've met him forever oh my god and I, you guys again like for those of you who like need the payoff for sure i mean that it totally harkens back to the used car purchase when johnny goes and has to borrow clothes from roland and like wears his clothes and so it's like super cute to me to have like this moment where roland's gonna wear his suit i love that i just think they're trying so hard that was a little bit more cringy of a connotation, though. We well, need to yes, look poorer, I know. Uh, so I need to borrow your clothes. But yes, on, on the surface, it's a very nice, adorable bookend. Yes, <laughs> but that was that was that was cringe-inducing, though. That no, it definitely was. What was your impression of these three in New York? Did Roland and Stevie act the way you expected them to in this kind of? big New York City skyscraper office building environment. I really liked the visual of the three of them sitting on that like cement kind of block there, you know, waiting to be called. And I really thought that it had like such a cinematic look to it. The three of them sitting there, the tension was like palpable. I feel like as audience members, we were like, come on, come on, let this work. I was ready for them to like get up there, like get up there, get up there. So a little bit when the, what would we call her? Like the admin assistant 
person, Ruth, yeah. came My, down. Mike, Mike's, Mike's assistant, Ruth. Yeah, Ruth yes. Clancy. So when she came into the scene, I was like, okay, okay, okay. We don't need to spend that too much time with Ruth. But I'm so glad we did because that little parts of like her complimenting the popcorn and how, you know, Rose video always went like the extra mile and how she loved it so much. I felt like they gave such a subtle but like clear grounding for why Ruth would have any interest in them later. And it wasn't obvious to me why they were doing that. I almost felt like maybe they were like she was hitting on Johnny and that is where they're going to go for a second. That's funny. I couldn't understand why they were doing that. This character we don't know. And she's like smiling and complimenting him. And, you know, Johnny's got like kind of a Lothario thing about him. I mean, remember how hot you were for him when he was all soaking wet in the first episode of the season. Whoa, whoa. Tell him my secrets. <laughs> I was on the episode. <laughs> You don't remember the five minutes of the episode that you edited out of you panting? Yeah, Silver Foxes, man. There's something about uh, something about an older an older gentleman that uh, that still's got it. I was like, is that where they're gonna go? Like Johnny's gonna have to do something like it, it, like questionable, morally questionable to seal the deal. I didn't know. I didn't know why they were spending time on it, but it definitely was like yes. I felt for Stevie and Roland a lot because I have been in those buildings, the giant atriums the intimidating elevator bank elevator banks should not be intimidating but they are in the in these buildings agree uh, they are so so many floors that you can't you know you have to go to a certain bank to get to a certain floor and the security staring at you like you don't belong i have spent a career being in these kinds of buildings waiting for these kinds of things and so i'm used to it and it still like makes you creep a little bit stevie and roland have never experienced anything like this before it's questionable whether they've been in a building with more than, say, five or six floors in it ever. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. And, uh, like, legitimately, uh, like, seriously, this is Country Mouse coming to the city. I'm glad that they played them up with nerves, that they weren't like, yeah, fuck, let's go take them by the ball. You're like, I was glad that that wasn't their attitude. Roland would look like he was going to vomit. Like, I, ha oh, I have a sudden case of dry mouth, <laughs> you know, like ask asking if they have water. Yeah. Do you know what I... I super appreciated those moments with Ruth because it allowed Ruth to see them as like regular people, not in a pitch setting. Like she got a chance to kind of know them without them knowing she was getting to know them. You know, Johnny was still being kind and gracious to her. You know, Stevie like paused and actually introduced herself. And Roland, for as like goofy as he was, he was still like endearing to her and stuff. It was a cool moment of like, she's sizing them up right now. They don't know it. We don't know it. I love how that all like culminated. I was just glad that she wasn't dismissive of them. That was, I've met Ruth. I have had people shake my hand and stare at me like I don't belong. I've seen it done to other people and it would not have been unbelievable for me for Ruth to have been like, who the fuck are you, Rubes? And what are you even doing here? Kind of like, what was Mike thinking letting you in the building? I, I was impressed that she wasn't dismissive of them, that she seemed not, not amused, but she seemed charmed by their humanness, like you said. And Roland did keep it together. You know, he had the awkward water comment. He still was Roland enough to tell Johnny that his breath stunk when they were alone, <laughs> you know? Yes. So it all was so, so believable to me. It really made me appreciate the scene even more. Have you ever been in a situation where you have to give a pitch like this in front of a room full of people where especially you know you don't really have their attention? Countless times, and I am much, much more of a Stevie than I am of a Johnny, unfortunately. It is so hard to do what they did. It's hard to do when you have an attentive audience. To get up and to kind of bear yourself, willingly tell how many of her eyeballs to stare at you, and God, then the technology doesn't work. Oh my God, that is the uh, fucking th worst. This is, this is literally every junior lawyer's nightmare oh when they have to go talk to a client or go pitch a client like when you go pitch clients like you go to meet a client like a prospective client and you have to sell yourself this is what you're doing mm. you're in a boardroom with a view that would kill uh, with, with all these people you don't know who are thinking about their tea times they're thinking about their lunch orders they're not thinking about you they don't give a shit they've made their decision based on whatever the written materials were beforehand everything in the scene was so spot on it almost felt like to me like Dan and maybe and maybe Eugene were writing their experiences of going to corporate offices and trying to pitch TV shows. It was so, so realistic. It was almost PTSD inducing. Oh, no. <laughs> but, 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 but in a good way, like I, I, I loved I loved how comical it was and how raw it was. Yeah. 
but also it was just more of that kind of like object like i want them to do so well you know didn't, weren't, yes. didn't you find yourself rooting for them like oh my god like when roland like spills the water i'm like no like oh my goodness yeah like the stress was so real i've had similar situations like this in a different way i've done a lot of speaking engagements where i am either advocating for a specific cause or i'm actually giving information and so i'm needing to like keep them engaged for like a long period of time like i'm talking like an hour and a half or something and i can tell when people are like drifting out i'll make some sort of silly joke or something and it is so fucking hard to keep people's attention that in a situation like this where they don't even feel like they're getting anything out of it. Like in my situation, most of the time they were getting something out of it. They wanted to be there on some level. But like in this sitch where they don't care, like you said, they want to get on to lunch and they want to move on to the next thing. So painful. And I think it's different too to be a girl. Like for me, I feel like I can be a little bit, I don't want to use the word silly. That's way too strong. But I can smile and be a little bit more friendly and stuff. Whereas like that might not in any way fly with, you know, Johnny doing that or anything like I, you can't be you can't like let that guard down or Stevie, who does not yeah. possess, like you are a naturally friendly person, outgoing person. She is a classic introvert. Mm-hmm. And making and having to listen to her say the canned lines. Oh gosh! You know the the ones that in the margins say insert personality here. You know, <laughs> yes. It just it's so fucking awkward. It's so so horrible. But all of that though, really, one makes you root for these guys so much. It also makes you understand why Mike Morrison couldn't be there. Like this scene doesn't have the stress inducing and uncomfortableness like comedy through making you uncomfortable if Mike Morrison is there. You're right. Such a smart decision because he would have just Ruth. You can almost feel the emanation of respect that Mike has for Johnny. Mm-hmm. The the kind of respect for him that Roland talks about it the when he comes back into the room later. You can feel that coursing through Ruth almost. But none of these other people have that. They don't share that. You feel the vacuum without Mike being there. None of these people are going to greenlight it unless they're boss. They're only here because their boss has told them to be here for it. Exactly. And like as the person on the other side, like all you want is a familiar face who's going to give you a little bit of a smile or nod their head like you're doing a good job. Like that's all you're looking for in the crowd is somebody to give you a little bit of softer eyes. And then you can like soar. And like when you walk in and especially if you're expecting to have that little support system in there and then they're not there and you get these guys who are like punching each other in the shoulder and like obviously mocking you. Oh, my God. Did you think the pitch itself was good? Did you feel like that they sold the concept of motels and why people would be interested? I thought they did a great job. And I have in my notes here, Johnny takes charge of meeting like a boss. When they come back from the tech break, I thought the meeting was, that was the meeting that they would want. That's the meeting that even with cynical people, maybe, maybe not everyone in there, but that's the, that's the kind of pitch that convinces people sitting on the fence in those kinds of meetings. Someone who is half engaged is going to listen to that and be swayed by that. But it's also, you know, first impressions matter. And it's hard to erase how poorly I think the first half went. Yeah. No matter how good that second half was. And, and uh, you know, but led by kind of the umbrella of charm and confidence that Johnny projects. Even Stevie gets out. She gives the fact about the 400% increase in, in occupancy after they started marketing dot, yeah. dot, dot, and cleaning. Oh my God. <laughs> so funny. You know, so I thought, I mean, Stevie. that was, that was in a classic sitcom. That's, that's the speech from Roland that gets them to their feet and applauding and being like throwing like money, like taking their like, you know, clips, money clips out and like throwing them at Johnny. Like, <laughs> oh like yes, God. of course. So at, after that, I wasn't really sure how it was going to go. Were you surprised that the direction it did take about Roland coming in and overhearing? And what did you think about Roland's speech, his defense of Johnny? I was really impressed with Roland. Okay. So when they came out and the three of them were so thrilled with how they did, we had just watched that really awkward choreographed the three of them saying the line at the end and it came off while synchronized not exactly you know as uh, influential as they would have liked to it it have sounded that was definitely a soft part to that otherwise great back end of the pitch where every stay feels, feels like, like home, home. <laughs> yeah and all it was missing was a clap like where every stay feels like home, you know? That's what it was. Yes. And that was, so when they came out though, and they were so elated and I realized how much they were misreading 
what that sounded like to the rest of us, I guess, including the audience here as well as like on the TV screen. I was like, oh, no, like they're very excited. And that feels like very off right now. Like they should still be nervous. So when he goes in to get the briefcase and they're actually like completely making fun of them, that hurt my heart so bad. Have you ever overheard something like that where like someone you thought something went well and maybe it's not even about you, but it's about you know, somebody you know or whatever and you just like your heart like just drops because you're like, oh shit. Like now I have to like navigate this situation knowing something I really don't even want to know. Thank God I haven't because I don't know that I'd get out of bed the next day. Jeez. I mean, could you imagine if Johnny had been the one? Think think about this. Imagine it was Johnny who overheard that and not Roland. Roland who has probably limited expectations just in life generally because he hasn't had the heights that Johnny has had to fall like Johnny has. Mm. So imagine that it's Johnny who hears that. I think that that you're right about the not getting up the next day. Like I think they would have had to have like carried Johnny out because the humiliation level would be like so sky high and they were really focused on Johnny. I mean, for Roland to hear it, they weren't necessarily making fun of directly him. I mean, it was all about, I can't believe that Johnny would come and have the guts to come in front of us like this. Oh my God. I, I would be horrified. I, I don't know how you ever recover from that. But and on its face though, the criticism they're making, you can see where these guys are making a criticism. Like they're wearing suits that cost more than like some people take home in a couple months worth of pay. For them, the idea of the video store king, can yes. think of an industry more dead than video rentals. Oh, roadside motels? Yes, that does come to mind. <laughs> yes. The, like coming in on the joke about the beepers, that all <laughs> resonates as very true. Yeah. So then what did you think of Roland's response? I love that he said exactly what you would hope Mike Morrison would have said had he been in the room and his junior partners would have been grousing like, why did you bring this Rube in here? This guy is literally as old as like the fish down in South Street Seaport, you know, like at the, at the Fulton Fish Market. Does that mean something? Would, Tell me what that means. Like all the fresh fish in New York City used to come through this place called the Fulton Fish Market down okay. in South Street Seaport in New York. It actually has been closed for years. They do it in the Bronx now. But yeah, it was very stinky. It used to stink like old, like rotten fish kind of thing all the oh. time. Oh. Yeah, that's a very local, very specific reference. It anyway, is. <laughs> what Roland said to them was what I hope and what I think Mike Morrison would have said to them. You don't know, you're like these young bucks. You were like, not even like had hit puberty yet when Johnny was riding like the fucking wave of the world. Like the guy was the man. You don't even know uh, what he's been through. And he's back here. He has somehow found a way back here. You know, that's powerful. That's a powerful it sounded so similar to when they were sitting at that anniversary dinner and, you know, the old friends were sitting there riding on this idea of Shit's Creek and Johnny just speaks up for Roland and he's like, you don't even know. Like, you don't even know how great these people are. You have no idea. Like, it was such an awesome bookend to seasons ago, Johnny sticking up for Roland. Yes, finally, like, he gets to do this for him. It, it made me, for the entire season, I forgive everything Roland ever did, Mike. Even calling people Ike. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm ready to forgive that. That's, that's not a rolling thing. That's just a basic humanity. No. Like ev evolution has taught us we should be able to get beyond that. That's not a rolling thing. Uh, <laughs> the anniversary happens to be my favorite Schitt's Creek episode. Since the day I saw it, it has always been my favorite Schitt's Creek episode. For the same reason I love what Roland did for Johnny in tonight's episode is all of the things I love about the anniversary episode. We didn't ask to be here. We didn't ask to be all thrown together. But God damn it, we are. These people have our backs, and I will have their backs, and you can go fuck yourself right out the door. I loved it. You're right. It is a perfect book to that. And I think it is, it's again, it's such a testament to the journey that they've been on in terms of the respect that he has for Johnny that did not exist for a lot of the episodes. I mean, there was a lot of time when Roland was just like, okay, like you're such, you're such big business over there. You're such hot stuff. You know, by the end here, he's like legitimately, sincerely backing him. I appreciate what you're saying about the people being thrown together, but also I'm going to like highlight the, the loyalty, the absolute loyalty that he was willing to have them even say, oh, shut the fuck up, get out of here. He was willing to stand up for somebody else and I feel like people who are willing to do that are few and far between. Most people would have said, excuse me, grab their briefcase, no matter what kind of shit they were saying, would have just ducked their head and get out, right? And maybe they would have gone and gossiped about what they heard, but they wouldn't stop and turn and look at the people in the eye and say, 
You're not going to talk about people like that. That's not the right thing to say about that guy. You don't know him. You suck for acting like this. So few people will do that. So, I mean, that that is a real act of friendship. I think it was a sincere act of friendship and not this guy is my business partner. Like I, you know, I was contemplating giving up my shitty kidney for money reasons. It, this wasn't money driven. This wasn't business driven. This was a instinctual friendship driven response by Roland. That's what makes it mean even more. Isn't it like even so much more impactful that like there is a fair shot. I mean, I'm giving it like 99% that Johnny will never know that Roland stuck up for him. He, he will never know how many, you know, rude comments were being said in there and how many times Roland was like, shut the fuck up about this. Like, I yeah. think that is so impressive. Especially so because he could have come outside and and there's a version of Roland. I feel like that comes back outside and immediately is like, guys, this is done like they're shitting all over us in there. Johnny, they're saying horrible things. Like really. Oh yeah, like gossips, bubble. right? Yeah, not not like a mean way. Come out and just being like real straight about it. Like there's definitely a Roland that comes out and be like, fuck these guys. They're a bunch of assholes. They're just talking shit about you, Johnny. We don't need them. And he says later on, I don't think these are really the people you want to do business with. And when he convinces when he's convincing Johnny to go to business with Ruth and her junior partners. Um, but he doesn't say why. And he yes. could have, and he didn't. Mad props to Roland. Yay. Mad props. This is Roland's time to shine this episode. It super so, is. All of you Roland fan out there, this is your time to shine <laughs> real nice. You were right. You were right. You won out there. All of you ones, ones of people out there. This was your episode. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. Let's fast forward to the end of the episode because we have the gang keeping vigil outside the motel in a line in all their plastic chairs. How long do you think they were out there for? Oh my God, hours for sure. I mean, uh, the whole idea of them knowing because Jocelyn, you know, got the text from Roland with the blown up heads and knowing that sinking feeling in their hearts, like when they come back here, I have to be supportive and I have to try to like bring them back up. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but I've gotten a phone call that sounds like this. Like I got laid off and me saying, just come home and, you know, we'll figure it out. That time between when that person comes home and when you're waiting there and you know, like, oh, fuck, this is going to be bad. And I'm going to have to somehow like make this better. It's excruciating. So for that whole crew having some inkling that things are not going to go good when they get here. Oh, my God. It is so much like weight on your shoulders. What did you think of Johnny's decision to not tell them one way or another until they were home? Is that something that you appreciate? Like you'd rather break good or bad news in person and make them sweat? Or do you go and tell the person as soon as possible over the phone? I think in that case, I don't think he had any idea that they had, you know, any inkling any which way. So I don't think that it would have. Just in general. Yeah. Let, let's assume let's let's take Roland's text out of there. OK. If you have good news or bad news, do, do you make them wait because you want to do it in person? Because that's the way to do it. Because you want to see that you need to see their faces or do you run to a phone as fast as possible? and say, we, we did it. We, we got the deal. I probably, because I've been on the receiving end of that, of the waiting and just wanting to have gotten something, I wouldn't give them all the details, but I think I would give them whomever was waiting for me. I think I would try to give them like some sort of indicator, like it's okay. Like I'll give you the deets when I get home, but everything's going to be okay. Like, I think I would say, I think I would do something because I just, because I just know how hard it is to be like racked. Which way do you go? I'd probably go right to the phone and tell them. I don't want to make someone because I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to be left waiting. So mm -mm. I probably would, uh, I was laid off and I didn't wait till I got home. You know, like I made a call on the phone, you know. Immediately, yeah. Like, yeah, you just have to know. It's part of processing it, the good and the bad also. It kind of also makes it more real. Yeah. The sooner you can say it out loud. I got to tell you, I did like it. I like the tension only because it allowed Jocelyn to give this line. It's like deal or no deal but with the rest of our lives. <laughs> That's a really funny line. She <laughs> has like <laughs> such oh, I mean, oh my goodness. Her like good natured, but like, you know, just taking it to a way that everybody could relate to. Like, you're like, you're right. It is like deal or no deal, but with the rest of your lives. Like, it's so relatable. Like, yes. This is one of my favorite gifts that are out there. It's the, it's like the yellow dog wearing a cool hat, like an old tiny hat sitting at a table with a coffee mug the entire room is on fire <laughs> and he's and and the and the gift goes this is fine this is fine it's fine it's yes. all fine <laughs> yes you know, yes that, i do that's jocelyn to me that school teacher like hardened skin where she can literally just take any kind of news and deal with it, it it's a pretty impressive skill that i think a lot of teachers have and i think it's one of the things i like about teachers 
is that bulletproof nature to take good news and bad news equally and go into play in problem solving mode. That's uh, Jocelyn all the time. It's I like, definitely think like that. Yes. It's just like deal or yeah, no it's deal. Like deal, or no, deal or no deal, but with the rest of our lives. <laughs> what did you think of the happy circle at the end? This was the most outpouring of emotion I think we've seen collectively of these people in all the years of Schitt's Creek. I thought it was amazing. I thought that I it was it felt extremely authentic. Like you know that when they were filming this, it was like real smiles, real tears, real excitement in like a we are celebrating this family and this you know, victory of the show of like having completed this. And I know we still have two episodes to go, but it just felt like that moment right then you had all these people together in like, just like such a comforting little way and to go around and see each of their little faces and stuff. It also kind of reminded me of, do you remember it, I guess is also that anniversary episode when they show up and they dance at the end at the at Mutt's mm-hmm. barn and they go when, and they literally a little high. Yeah. And they, and they kind of, and they zoom in on each of their faces. And I, I think, I feel like we've talked about before, like if that had been the end of the whole show, everybody would have been pretty like, you know, we would have wanted more, but that would have been a good ending to just like go on each person's face kind of thing. It felt very mm-hmm. similar again to me. Yeah. You almost feel the love coming through your TV screen. That's how palpable it is. You can almost like taste it. A good little Easter egg for people who look at PR photo shots and, you know, the press shots that like I'll put up on Pop Culture Review and to promote a show is coming up. Tonight featured the key art that the series had used for season six of the Rose family in their tux and, and formal gown wear. The last shot Johnny shows in his presentation of, you know, if, if his family can live at a motel for three years, any anyone can enjoy a stay at a motel and they use the key art shot of Dan and Eugene in the tux. And I think Moira and Alexis are in these nice gowns outside of the Rosebud. That's part of the key art that the series used for their promo shots right before season six began. Mm. And, um, and on the press site uh, for pop TV, it had been labeled six twelve before they had put up any other episode shots. Oh, they, wow. We had these six twelve shots, so it was great to finally kind of see them be used in the uh, in the episode, and and in like a really kind of minimal but impactful way, getting to see these people with just pure joy and love on their face. So it was great. It made me so happy for them. I was very happy for them, but I t- I told you before I wanted to come back to Patrick and David. Yeah. The final shot of this episode. What was that look on Patrick's face saying? Well, obviously mixed feelings. Like, is this even the best thing for everybody? You know, like kind of that moment of like, you guys have all grown and done so many things here in Schitt's Creek. Like, I don't know, would, would you would you consider it like an experienced knowing look in that way of like sort of being like, maybe you guys don't even know what you wished for and like how this is going to change things. Do You know, like when people say, be careful what you wish for. And it's like, because you don't really know how this is like going to extrapolate out. There's something about that kind of moment that was a little like, hopefully this is going to go okay, but you know, this could go really wrong. The way he was kind of looking at David pointedly, even though it was kind of from a side eye, it seemed to me to say, oh, Bubba, we are about to have a really awkward talk. Yeah. Um, This is not just wasted time and and wasted frown lines. We are about to have a serious conversation here. And I, I don't know where I feel. I haven't yet processed it. You know, think back to what Patrick said, you know, when he was taking in the news, he didn't make the leap that Alexis and David made. Yeah, okay, your, parents are, your parents are moving back to New York. You know, these are all grown adults who have grown a lot. The I don't know that I would have assumed hearing that news. Your parents are moving back to New York. Okay. I don't know that I automatically assume, oh, Alexis too? Oh, you too, David? My husband? Me too? We're, li- we're moving our business? Like, that's a lot of leaps of logic that I think I'm probably on Patrick's side that I don't think I necessarily make. And that conversation was not resolved. You know, you know, David resolves it by just saying, you know, take my muffin and maybe this is all for nothing. But now it's not for nothing. This is a thing that's happening, it seems. Yeah, with a wedding coming up, this is going to be a very, very, very uncomfortable conversation. I do want to ask you predictions wise, what do you think? Do you think that that they end up staying in Schitt's Creek and staying together? Do they bust or do they both go to New York? Or is there any type of happy in between? David has going he's going to have to choose what to do. And I think he's going to choose Patrick and staying in Schitt's Creek. 
I think so too. I hope so. Because it's not like it shuts the door on New York. It's not like they could never grow the store and franchise it and move it into that huge venue. But I feel like right now with how young the store is and how new their marriage will be and all that kind of stuff, it seems like, I don't know, guys, like it would be okay for you guys to kind of cocoon up and just worry about your own lives for a little bit. You know, I mean, for God's sake, when Patrick has to sleep over and they're all in the same motel room, it's like, it would be okay if we didn't do this for a little bit and we kind of got our own sea legs for a little. And maybe ultimately two years from now or something, we choose to go and we sell the store and we have all this money or whatever. But I do feel like the right thing is to do is to stay put, right? I think so. David has to give this life with Patrick a chance. Yeah. And if he's just jumping into the Murphy bed in a room <laughs> with Alexis and, and his husband... That's not growth. That's that. I almost feel like it would be a betrayal of every of how far David has come as a person. You know, I, I talked earlier about how Johnny has had the most hero journey arc in the show. You know, David is right there behind him as far as becoming a better human being. As as far as when you can't even see where you started when you look back. That's how far you've come. That's David. And for for this to break down at the end just almost seems like a like a betrayal of who David has become. Like, it's clear to me that he has to choose Patrick and wherever that life is. And I think he will. I think he will. I think I think we have seen him, like, try and push his will on Patrick, but also know when to not. I do. I do. I know exactly what you're saying, that there's the, they have, like, a love boundary there. Yeah, if his default position is whatever benefits me most in a selfish way, everyone else must also want that too. And let's all go do it because he also has this ability to modify that default position and realize that he is not alone. We've seen it countless times, just this season alone, you know, he's had an opinion, but then he's also given over to Patrick's will a little bit to see how it plays out. Like the bachelor party. I love the two of them so much because like, like I'll tell you a scene that like just draws this exact moment for me. Remember, remember when David comes in and he tells Patrick he loves him for the first time and Patrick listens and he's not overwhelmed by this whole thing. He can just take it in and he's like, you know what would make this better is if I had a tea in my hand and he's like, and David goes, fuck. And he like turns around and like runs because he forgot to bring him his, his stuff. And it's like. It's like Patrick isn't like sucked into the sappy or whatever. Like he actually can call David out on his shit, even in such like a precious moment as that, you know, and David can respond. I mean, he said, fuck, and ran away. Like he actually will respond to him. Well, even tonight when, you know, he gave he gave David all sorts of shit for being gone so long on his quick errand to get a muffin, but <laughs> it, you know, which involved him going to the motel and being there forever with his sister, you know, yes. like he doesn't let that stuff slide, which is a credit to the character. It's also a credit to the writing because like the tea example, this, uh, like your, your less talented writer writes in the, you know, what makes this even better, uh, a tea fuck. When David turns to go, like the less talented writer says, oh, no, no, honey, I was just joking. Yes. No, Patrick wants his fucking tea. Yes. You know, like, the, 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 yes. fuck you. The, I want my tea, you know, great. I'm glad you love me. Now show it to me by going get me my goddamn tea. <laughs> and you know what? Like, yeah. it is, like, again, like, there's no way this couple doesn't end up together. And I don't think it's right for them to head to New York right now. This is... It's not the right time. And so I feel like the idea, if you think about, again, the switcheroo, if Stevie goes to New York in any form or fashion, even if it's just to get things off the ground or something for like a little while, imagine David standing there saying goodbye to Stevie, who's going to New York and David staying. But an earned ending for Stevie, though, too, which Perfection. is something that you and I spent a lot of time talking about earlier in the season when she seems so up in the air. Her going to New York for this reason seems so earned. Yes, you know? yes. But can you see their two faces like looking at each other? Like he's staying and she's going. Oh, my God. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. I know <laughs> it's you, too you, much. Right here. Yeah, I mean, you and I are already getting ready to record the penultimate episode. And uh, I, I don't even want to think about that, let alone two weeks. So, oh, my gosh. Oh. I But I but thank goodness for such a wonderful show that makes us actually love these characters so much that, you know, and, and in our hearts, here's what I go back to. They're going to be together again. It's no one's dying. These people are family at the end of the day, you know, and like you said, they, they're all going to be in each other's lives for forever. So even if she's going to New York for a while, 
even if he stays in Schitt's Creek for a while, everybody's going to come together. They're going to still be talking every day and harassing each other and all that stuff. So I want to have that faith that like this is a family and a family first and they're going to make this work, even if everyone has to kind of shoot their own direction for a little while and like grow themselves. They have established such good foundation as a family that I feel completely at ease about it. No one's going to just fall off the radar. A hundred percent. I agree with you. And as a fan, when I think about the ending of the show, you know, I was a big Friends fan. I watched Friends, I watched Friends in its original run all 10 years, and I was so sad. You know how, what got me over being sad when they finally turned in all of those keys and turned out the lights in the big apartment? What? That I could just start the fucking show over again at season one, episode one, and relive all of it. Aww. You know what? And I could do that with Shit's Creek, too. So, the, you know, I never need to leave the creek. none of us do so well and i love the idea that dan levy's already said he would be open to continuing their story and i feel like in this day and age of reboot tv and even just continuations of stories so not exactly a reboot but like picking up 10 years later picking up five years later whatever that's common and expected and beloved series have that option to do that later on whether it's a movie or it's picking up more more actual episodes That gives me such hope. Like, you never really have to say goodbye to your characters. Not really, you know? No, no. And and, and this is not based on any information. I don't have any inside information. I don't know. But something in my bones just feels like we're going to get an announcement of a movie, like an actual, like, production is starting or or writing is starting on a movie probably before the end of the year. I love that. that, That's my my gut instinct. And again, not based on anything. This is not a rumor. I am not starting. It's just kind of... I just feel it's kind of the groundswell of the show. Just from a business standpoint, it makes so much sense. The show has such a hot iron right now. Yes. Um, you know, I appreciate and I respect their decision to end the show. But at the same time, you know, no one wants to be poor. We want to make money. <laughs> and you have this property that is literally cresting a wave now. You'd be silly to not do something with the property, even if you don't put it out this year to not do anything on it and to not keep working on it seems like a wasted opportunity. I totally agree. And I think like the proof is in the pudding. They've been able to do those live shows. They've been able to have super successful pop-ups, including like our shitty contest pop-up that we went to. Listen, enter, win. Enter and win. Get lubed up with our lotions and goat milk soap, people. You're all dry. I can smell you from here. Get (laughs) shitty with us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, y'all motherfuckers in isolation need to shower. You need some you need some creams and scents on you. you this do. is how you do it. You're disgusting. I can smell you from here. I'm just telling you. Oh, <laughs> Through I'm sorry. the podcast. I'm sorry. I've <laughs> Not using, you, listeners. I've already been using I've been using this sprays. One, you know, one of the one of the lucky winners will get a field tested spray that is only three quarters full. You're oh my god! Just add water. Get over it. <laughs> like like dad's vodka. Just add water. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and who would ever know, right? Because no one can tell when vodka's like half watered down. <laughs> right? How smart we were. <laughs> That's really funny. They taste just about the same. Just exactly the same. <laughs> I am sad to see the show go, but I really, really love everything they're doing. Uh, I really like how everyone seems to be moving to their final positions. And I can't wait for the final two episodes. I mean... I don't want the final two episodes to come, but at the same time, I can't wait for them also. I agree. I agree, because I want to see what, what what they all do. It's exciting. They've made us invested. This is Caroline with Daily Review. And this has been Mike from Pop Culture Review. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.